Good morning. Wasn't the worship great today? Wow. I tell you, I absolutely enjoyed every single bit of it. Well, if you would, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 7, and then as you're doing that, I'll make a couple of just quick announcements. It's great to be here in Alabama. I actually heard a country song yesterday um, on the radio. Um, I believe the singer's name was called Riley Green. Uh, anybody heard this song, I Wish Grandpas Never Die? Anybody heard that? A few of you? Yeah, I heard it on the radio yesterday. Uh, in the song, it says, I wish every city had a Birmingham. Every state had a Birmingham. So I thought about you. Well, I'm excited about being here today and uh, being with your pastor and his brother. Uh, man, what a great morning, great way to get started. Um, I don't know how many of you do social media, but we, we certainly do. We do um, Twitter and Facebook, and I think they've got it. There we go. We also have an app. If you want to stay connected with our ministry and where we're going and what we're doing, you can actually just go to the app store and download it on your phone. I think it takes about 45 seconds, but we'd love to connect with you through social media. We really do all of it. I think we've got like eight, nine, ten accounts, so we're easy to track down. And then uh, it's all right there, yeah. And then at the end of the service, I'll be at the book table. We don't sell books because we're not in the book selling business. But uh, if you'd like to pick up one of our books, uh, you can just give a donation, whatever you think's fair. And we'd love for you to get a copy of our book. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to jump right into the message this morning. Um, if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, you will notice that Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 are all in red letter. The reason for that is, is because we know that that means these were words that were spoken of by Jesus Christ. Uh, contained in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, even though it's split into three different chapters, it's actually one sermon in its entirety. Preachers like uh, me and your pastor might debate about what the greatest sermon was that's ever been preached, but no doubt about it, we're about to read it. So this morning, we're going to zero in. Uh, I'm going to be quoting a few verses. If you have a pen, you might keep that handy just to jot those down. I'm going to be quoting a few verses out of this passage um, as Jesus comes to the end of his sermon. You know, pastors and evangelists like me, when they come to the end of the sermon, oftentimes they're trying to drive home the, the, a point. And so we're going to be looking at verse 21 through 23. This is what Jesus says. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works and then verse 23 and then I will profess unto them I never knew you depart from me you that work iniquity father God we thank you this morning just for how the worship has already brought us into your presence Lord you know what a blessing to uh to just be ushered before you. And so, Lord, I don't know what I can say on this platform that I've not already said this morning or just in the days coming here, but, Lord, I pray that uh, for just victory against every force of evil that would seek to keep people in darkness, Lord, I pray that you would help people truly see what their standing is before you. Lord, I pray for people that might be in the room today who might be very religious but yet somehow lost. God, I pray that your spirit would move and continue to move as he already has in a mighty way to just remove blinders, to help people to hear, to help people to see, and to help their hearts be opened. I pray it in the name of Jesus, by the power of God's spirit, amen and amen. We were excited to be able to announce um, uh, to my son what his birthday present was going to be. Um, you can imagine it's six foot six. Yes, I've played some basketball, and yes, I'm a big basketball fan, and so my boys are as well. And so um, we were excited to announce to my son Lane that for his birthday, we were going to be taking him to the American Airlines Center in Dallas, Texas, where he was going to get to see the Dallas Mavericks play the Toronto Raptors. At that time, the Toronto Raptors had a player on their team who happened to be my son's favorite player. 
a guy by the name of Vince Carter, played for the University of North Carolina. And for those of you that follow basketball, you know this guy. Matter of fact, he's still playing basketball this day, but just an unbelievable talent, a guy that could just jump out of the gym, acrobatic guy. And so my son was so excited to find out that that's what we were going to be doing for his birthday. Now, for those of you that are parents or grandparents, you will immediately have recognized the mistake that was made because we told him about his birthday present about six weeks before the night was supposed to happen. And you're laughing because you already know what happened. Every single solitary day, we were asked, when are we going? When are we going? We thought we were going to lose our mind. Well, finally the day came around and we were going to make the two-hour trek from my home city in Wichita Falls, Texas to Dallas-Fort Worth. And so we, could, we were literally, I, I, I kid not, we were the first people in line. And so when we walked through the front doors, we did not know at the time that even though we could not afford those lower level seats, we were sitting up in the, in the nosebleed section that if you had a young, younger kid with you, they would allow you during the pregame warm-ups to literally walk down on that lower level and you could literally, as long as your feet did not touch the hardwoods, you could literally stand right on the edge and watch those players. Really, it was the pre-warm-up warm-up. And so we were excited, me and my little five-foot-one wife and, me and my son, we're, we're, we're hip-hopping down the stairs trying to get down there. We get down there, no exaggeration, I kid you not, there was literally only one player for the pre-warm-up warm-up, Vince Carter. Now, my son had taken the poster off of his wall that had a picture of Vince dunking, and it said Vince Sanity on it. Those of you that follow basketball know that's the moniker that was given to him, his nickname. And so there we are. It's me and my little five-foot-one wife and my son. And so we're standing there. I'm exactly the same height as he is. And because we were the first people in the gym and because we were literally, I mean, maybe a quarter of an inch from the, the floor, we just kind of stood there for a few minutes and watched him. And uh, it was relatively quiet. I mean, this is an hour and a half before game time. And so our goal was is maybe my son to get an autograph on one of his basketball cards or, or maybe on the poster that he had taken off the wall. And so we kind of started out low key. Hey, Vince, Mr. Carter. Eventually started calling him Vince Sanity. Then my wife puts her elbow in my rib cage and says, what are you going to do? <laughs> well... I normally try to behave in public and not make myself look like a total goofball. I knew Vince could see us. I mean, we're literally just feet apart. You know, it's kind of like when you go to, you know when you go to Walmart and you see people and you act like you didn't see them? Yeah, you know that's why you're laughing. Well, that was kind of what it was like. He, he knew we were there. We knew he was there. And you could see his eyes kind of cut toward us, but no, no acknowledgement. And so here I lose all a semblance of trying to be professional. I'm standing in a chair. It's crazy what you'll do for your kids. I'm standing in a chair. I could preach. Matter of fact, I could stop right there and just preach a sermon on it's crazy what you'll do for your kids. I could stop right there and start preaching about what God does for his kids and how much he loves his kids and his mercy, but I won't. So here I am in this chair, and I'm holding a poster and screaming as I'm tilting this poster back and forth, Vince Sanity. That's what it's all come down to. Well, nothing works. And so eventually, more and more people file in the gym, and then before you know it, they're going out towards the, the uh, they're going to be going out towards the exit where the visiting team does. Well, my son was let down and my wife was let down and I came up with an idea. I said, why don't we sneak across on the other side? That's where the, the team, their team will be going in. And literally, if we can get over there before he exits the floor, we can catch him. We'll literally be just a few feet away. Well, that's what we did. We made our way over there and against my wife's wishes, she thought we we're going to end up in prison for it or something. So we made our way over there and I knew we were in trouble. Right before Vince hit the tunnel way, there was a lady, uh, obviously had a lot more money than we did because she had floor side seats and she had on a Vince Carter jersey. And as Vince walked literally within about one foot away, she stuck out a Sharpie to have him sign her jersey and he walked by her as though he didn't even see her. And I turned to my wife and I said, babe, we are in trouble. <laughs> 
Well, finally, Vince starts making his way down the tunnel way. Now, you have to understand, we're, we're, there's a, a guardrail between us and him, but I kid you not, I, I, he would be right below us. He would literally be close enough that I could reach over and literally put my hand on his head. And when Vince gets right below us, me and my wife and son, as though we had rehearsed it, even though we had not, all in unison at one moment in time, said Vince. As Vince is below us, he turns to look up to see who it is that's calling his name. I kid you not, you could literally see his eyes shift from me to my wife to my son. And when he did not recognize the faces of those who had just called his name, Vince walked through the tunnel way as though he didn't even see us. My son was devastated. His father was angry. And we made our way up to the nosebleed section and those cheap seats where we were sitting and I have never cheered for a team to lose as hard as I did that day in my life. That's right. I loved every minute of the Mavericks beating them down, every minute of it. Well, we got in my wife's Suburban, and as I stated, we lived two hours from Dallas, and we got in my wife's Suburban, and we were heading back home. When I first met the Lord, I made a decision that I was going to spend my life memorizing His Word. I had memorized this entire Sermon on the Mount. And uh, as my, my, we got in the vehicle, my wife's asleep, my son's in the back asleep, and so I've got two hours of pounding the pavement to get home, and, and I'm just replaying everything that happened that night in the American Airlines Center. I could quote you these verses. I knew these verses by heart. I'd actually preached these verses before. But as I'm driving down the road on my way to Wichita Falls, Texas, somehow God reminded me of these verses that I just quoted to you that I had memorized years before. And I really believe it was God giving me insight. It was God helping me understand this passage of Scripture in a way that even though I theologically understood it, even though I knew the application of it, I knew the interpretation of it, I believe God was taking me back through what had happened that night to help me see this passage in a way that otherwise I could have never been able to see it. Because as I was driving down that road and thinking about all that information we knew about Vince Carter, all those years we had watched him play basketball, knew literally where he was born, where he played college, we knew his height, we knew his weight, we knew everything about Vince Carter, but the problem of it was is we never really knew Vince Carter. When we knew about Vince Carter, we were fans of Vince Carter, but there had never been a relationship and I felt like God was helping me see that in the same way that night in the American Airlines Center, with all that we knew about Vince Carter, that in the same way that when we called out to him, when we said his name, that because we did not know him intimately, and he turned and walked away from us, that in many ways that was a representation of the very scriptures I had memorized years before. That there's a generation of people who know all about Jesus Christ. They know the facts. They know the figures. They can sing all the worship songs that we sang this morning. They can quote you John 3.16. They've been through the waters of baptism. They've been sprinkled. They've been immersed. They've been through catechism. They've walked an aisle. But they're only fans of Jesus Christ. And never really had an intimate relationship with him. If you remember earlier in this passage in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gave a couple of different analogies. One of them was found in verse 13 and 14. He said, enter in at the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way which leads to destruction. And notice the word that he used, and many there will be who will go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life. And notice the word that Jesus used there. Few there will be that find it. 
In other words, Jesus said there are two roads. There is a wide road. It's the road that the majority of people are on. And might I say this morning in Alabama, because I'm from the south as well, friend. I live in Texas. I'm as south as you can get. That the majority of people probably even in churches this morning with all of their knowledge about Christ are on that broad road. But Jesus said there's another road and it's a narrow road. And he said, few there be that find it. And even after this passage of Scripture, you may remember Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Jesus again paints us a picture. I love how Jesus could use the power of story to help us understand Scripture in a way that we might otherwise be unable. And verses 24 through 27, uh, you, you remember Jesus gives this analogy and he talks about how uh, there are two different foundations and, 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 and these houses and, and one of them is built on a rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat upon the house and it fell not. And then Jesus talks about another home. It went through the same wind, the same storms, the same rain. Nothing was different. And then Jesus says about this house, not only did it fall, but great was the fall of it. And why was that? It wasn't that the storm was any different. It wasn't even that the home was any different. The only difference was is that one was built upon sand and one was built upon a rock. And of course, that rock represents an authentic, true relationship with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. There's been a lot of misunderstanding about this passage in Matthew. Some people think that this is a reference to people who um, are those folks that maybe come to church at Christmas, maybe they come to church at Easter, they come on a rare occasion, but that's absolutely incorrect. This is a reference to people who are devotedly religious. I've got to believe that if Jesus Christ were preaching anywhere in the south of the United States, because, you know, most of us, we grew up going to church. It's a way of life. Where we live in Texas, everybody goes to church. It's good for business. It's good for relationships. It's good to meet a partner. It's good for a lot of things. But no, Jesus was talking about people who were devotedly Religious, I like what one preacher said. He said, many people have a religion to live by, but they do not have a religion to die by. I just love how Jesus Christ, you must understand this morning as we dissect this passage that Jesus literally is pulling back the curtain this morning. I love the fact that Jesus takes us on this journey where we are literally able to go forward in time and see what it's going to be like one day as people stand before Christ to give an account of their life. It's amazing to me. And quite frankly, this is an opinion, but in my opinion, it's some of the most horrific verses in the entire Bible. We see this repeated over and over, this, this, this warning, if you will, about people who are sincere, but yet sincerely wrong. You see it in the parable of the ten virgins. You see it in the parable of the soils. I'm sure you probably heard the, the parable of the wheat and the tares. They both grow up together. They look the same. You can't tell them apart. One's pseudo, one's not. The only person that can tell them apart is, is the farmer, of course, representing Jesus. And I can't help but wonder this morning. Again, I love the South. I've been all over the South. I've been preaching for years. I grew up in the South. But I can't help but wonder how many people have for so long been involved in religious things, for so long have been a member of a church, but never have truly known Christ. How many people know Jesus the way we know Vince Carter? Well, the first thing I want to look at here in verse 21, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, and notice what they say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. I mentioned I've got a little five foot one wife. I've got two, uh, three children. Two, I guess I can't remember how many. I have three children, not two. <laughs> My gosh. I've got two sons and a daughter. I think about all the years I spent on the road, the literally millions of people that I've met. There are only three people on this entire planet that can literally call me daddy. And according to what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter uh, 7, 21, 
He says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord. You have to understand first and foremost that these are people who are using a vernacular that is the equivalency of what my children call me. It's not just a term, a term of dad. It's not just a term of being a father. This is the equivalence of, of one of my children saying, daddy, daddy. It's a claim of devotion. And not only is it a claim of devotion, but it's also a claim of relationship. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But notice what he does say. He says, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. This morning, we don't, won't have time to go through what are the earmarks, what is the litmus test, what is the, the, the signs of a true believer. But I can tell you right now, according to what Jesus says right here in verse 21, he said, it's not those people who call me Lord, it's those people who make me Lord. We live in a generation where there's multitudes of people that claim to have an allegiance or a relationship with Christ. But Jesus says that the people that really know him are the people who do his will. Let me just say right now, and I know it, it, it's not popular, but let me just say right now, any person that claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ and does not have a supernatural desire to obey this book has forfeited their right to call themselves a believer. Don't get a lot of amens on that. Jesus said in Luke 11 and 11, 28, listen to this. Why do you call me Lord and do not the things which I say? Amazing. In other words, you can't claim authentically to be a follower of Christ and not be doing his will. Now, friend, listen, we're all sinners. We can go to church and we can put on a big front and we can pretend we've all, all got it together and we don't. All of us are sinners. Jesus is not talking about the sin that each one of us struggle with. He's talking about people that have a desire to do God's will and follow his word. And if a person doesn't have that, there's something diametrically wrong. I continue to make mistakes. Sometimes I'm not the father I should be. I'm not the husband I should be. My daughter contracted an incurable disease, and, and I'm telling you, I've, this last 18 months have been the hardest of my life, and, and there's been some real anger at God at times and frustration with God at times. I've said some things to God that I never thought that I would say. I know I'm a sinful man, but I'll tell you this, when I'm not doing God's will or his word, there is a conviction in my life of wanting to make things right. And when a person can just go on living their life week after week, month after month, year after year, in the same old way, friend, that's not biblical Christianity. A person who claims to worship God, and, but yet their God does not require surrender or faithfulness or obedience or taking up a cross is not worshiping the God of this Bible. First John chapter 2, what did Jesus say? He said, he that says, I know him and keeps not my commandments is a liar. Pretty harsh words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Notice verse 22. Here we find that word. You remember earlier when I quoted verses 13 and 14 where Jesus gave the illustration of the wide gate and the narrow gate. When Jesus talked about the wide gate, he used this same word, many. Notice verse 22, he says, many will say to me in that day. Notice here again, what are they calling him? Lord, Lord. Now, this is very fascinating to me. Jesus not only pulls back the curtain and allows us to be a part of seeing what's going to happen to people one day as we, they stand before Christ, but he even allows us to hear what's going to be said. You know, we could just stop this morning. Think about that just for a minute. Every single one of us in this room one day will stand face to face with Jesus Christ and give an account of their life. Can I be honest this morning and say that there's a side to that that I'm excited about and there's a side to that that terrifies me. Jesus says, many will say to me in that day, notice the first group, have we not prophesied in your name? This word prophesy means several different things. 
First of all, we know that prophesy would be in alignment with someone who's known as a prophet, someone who proclaims God's word. We can look at Old Testament prophets and those who not only proclaim God's word, but got a direct revelation of God, not only to proclaim his word, but what was going to happen in the future. Unlike current prophets, when those brothers said God was going to do something, you could take it to the bank. If they said it was going to snow in July, you better get your coat out. Because that's what's going to happen. Well, Jesus says this first group that stands before him, they are going to say, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Do you know that during the Great Awakening, there were 500 ministers who came forward as ministers to say, I want to give my life to Christ because I'm not a true believer? Billy Graham, uh, two weeks ago, I was invited, big honor for me, I was invited to Asheville, North Carolina. I got to go in, actually go into Billy Graham's office. I never thought that would happen. Not only that, I actually got to thumb through Billy Graham's sermon notes, and I actually got to take pictures of him. He's a hero of mine. My youngest son is named Graham after Billy Graham. When Billy Graham preached in Madison Square Garden, one of the most iconic crusades ever, According to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, when Billy preached in Madison Square Garden, 72 ordained ministers came forward during the invitation. These are men that had went to Bible college, men that had gone to seminary, came forward to say, even though I am a preacher of the gospel, I do not have an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, the first group are going to say, Lord, I prophesied in your name. That also would include prophecy, would include someone who shares the gospel. Another message for another day. But let me just, let me take a, a, about a 60-second detour. Friend, let me say something to you. Now, granted, I'm a full-time evangelist. I've never been on staff at a church in my life. And you can say, well, you know, Jay, that's your gift and that's what you're called to do. Friend, let me just say something as I take a, a short detour. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and you don't care about people who are around you that don't know Jesus, something is wrong. Don't say, well, that's what we've called the pastor to do. Don't say that's what God has called full-time evangelists like you to do. Friend, if you claim to know Jesus Christ, it ought to bother you that other people around you at school and at work and next-door neighbors and family members are going to die without Christ. One of the reasons why most churches are not full is because God's people are not bringing them to church. For too long, we've waited for the unbelievers to come into us, and the unbelievers are waiting for us to go out to them. Can I get an amen on that? Well, you don't get a lot of amens on that because all of a sudden we start getting convicted. But Jesus says that there will not only be preachers that will say, but hey, wait a minute, Lord. You know me. I preach the gospel. I'm, I'm a member of this, I'm a, a, a minister at this church. Or, you know, Lord, I was a layman and, and I was regularly sharing my faith and telling other people about you. The second group Jesus tells us about, uh, they say, uh, uh, we've cast out demons in your name. Halloween just finished a couple of days ago, and, and, uh, and so there, there, there's a, a certain group of folks that say, you know, I don't know that I believe in evil. That stuns me. All throughout the New Testament, Jesus talks about the powers of evil, the forces of darkness, and demonic possession. We've seen it firsthand. At one time, I was a part of a, um, a ministry, and we did a tour that... Um, was connected to uh, a, a, a tour exposing Satanism. We even had some of the first church of Satan out of Southern California, a very large church. They don't meet covertly. They meet just in a public place. And we had many of their disciples that came to our meetings. It was a very fascinating time. The, the leader of that church wrote the Satanic Bible, which I've been told uh, on some campuses outsells the Holy Bible two to one. Demonic possession is real. The forces of evil are real. And friend, just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not real. I'll tell you that I believe with all of my heart, you can call me crazy, that's fine and dandy. I believe with all my heart that the forces of darkness are at work today to keep people in the dark about their relationship to Christ. I believe that literally at this very hour, that we are gathered together in Pelham, Alabama, that the forces of darkness are doing everything they can to keep people away from what it truly means to know Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? 
the second group comes to Jesus and they say, Lord, you, you, wait a minute now, you, you, you know me. Because I cast out demons in your name. You may recall, some of you uh, have read the story uh, about Moses and, and, and Exodus, or maybe you haven't read all of Exodus, but you've watched the Ten Commandments at Easter time. It's a great show, by the way. You may remember the, God gave Moses this ability that his staff would uh, turn into a snake. And if you've seen the show, you saw that reenacted, but uh, Moses, as a sign of God's power in his life, uh, this staff would be turned into a snake and then turned back into a staff. When Moses went before Pharaoh's court, there were two magicians known as Jannies and Jambres. And when Moses went in and took the staff as a, as a, a valid, uh, to validate the, the call of God on his life and what God was going to do, Moses threw the staff down, and when he did, Jannies and Jambres were able to replicate the exact same miracle that Moses did. Forces of darkness imitating What's good? This group says, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. And then notice thirdly in verse 22, the third group says, and in your name, I like the King James. I read King, New King James, but most of what I quote is King James. But it says, uh, done many wonders, New, uh, King James, many wonderful works in your name. I've got to believe that of all the categories that probably this would likely be the biggest. I mean, yeah, those other folks, uh, they may have told other people about Jesus and I mean, yeah, Lord, there may have been some of those other guys that came before us. I mean, yeah, they, they, they cast out demons in your name. But, Lord, you know me. I mean, I, I, I did many wonderful works in your name. I mean, I used to go to church. I taught Sunday school. I sang in the choir. Lord, I gave money on a regular basis. I paid my bills. I was a faithful husband. I was a faithful wife. Never got in trouble with the law. Anytime there was help that was needed, Lord, you know I, I was the one to do it. I did many wonderful works in your name. Oh, we've all heard the verse. We know it. We, most of us can quote Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for you're not saved by works. You're saved by grace through faith, not a work, so that no man can boast. I think about Titus 1.16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. I think about 2 Timothy chapter 3. Listen to this in verse 5. It talks about in those last days, and I quote, about people who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Timothy tells us that in those last days that there's going to be a generation of people who have a form of godliness. They talk it, they look it, they go to church, they emulate it, but there's no power on their life. And as someone who spent my entire life traveling around preaching to millions of people, I can tell you uh, all these churches, so many churches I've been in that, that resemble that. They have a form of godliness, but there's no power there. And two verses later in verse 7, you remember what it says? about this generation of people in the last days. It says, listen, and I quote, they're always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. I don't know if there's any verse that might be a better representation of what's going on in America. Now, with all of our technology, this morning I flipped on the, the television and there's all these preachers on programs all over the place and with all this access to spiritual things and yet this world continues to get darker day by day. Something is wrong. Jesus says, they're going to say, Lord, I, 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 you can hear them now. Lord, I, I, I did so many good things. I walked an aisle. I was even baptized. I was sprinkled. I was immersed. Verse 23, maybe the saddest verses in the entire New the saddest verse in the entire New Testament. Jesus has let us hear what they're going to say to him, and now Jesus tells us what he is going to say to them. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Of course, Jesus doesn't mean that he didn't know who they were. He knows everything. It's an idiom representing intimate relationship. 
Imagine hearing those four words. I never No, I don't believe Jesus says it with judgment. No, I don't believe he says it with a harshness in his voice. I believe he probably says it with a tear rolling down his cheeks. I never knew you. I can't help but imagine what it would be like to hear those words come from the larynx of the Son of God. But I'll tell you this. I almost did hear them. I mentioned I grew up in Texas. My father was a businessman. He owned 54 convenience stores in North Texas and Southern Oklahoma. We went to church every single week. When I was a young boy at Castle Hills Baptist Church in San Antonio, Texas, a historic Southern Baptist church, my parents one day, I walked down an aisle with my folks. I sat on the front row Somebody wrote a bunch of information on a card, patted me on the back. I prayed a prayer. I really, it wasn't me trying to be deceptive or conniving. I just didn't understand what I was doing. Patted me on the back, said, Jay, you're saved. About, about a week, two weeks later, I went and got baptized. Before it was all said and done, I was baptized on three different occasions, summer camp, we were there every time the door opened. But the problem was, is there was never a true change in my life. No change, no Jesus. I ended up at 21 years of age, college dropout, kicked off basketball team. Ended up at 21 years of age in an $80 a month rent house living on government unemployment with a 22 caliber pistol raised in my right temple. By that time, I didn't even know if I believed that there was a God. I presumed that if there was a God, that because of this prayer that I had prayed when I was a young boy, that if God even existed, that when I ended my life, that I would go to heaven if there was even a heaven. I won't go into the details this morning because it's irrelevant to the point. A roommate came home early. Suicide was prevented. I didn't go to church anymore because my parents couldn't make me go to church. I was 21 years of age. But a full-time evangelist came to our city who had attempted suicide and not only came because I wanted to figure out how I could get rid of the thoughts that roamed through my mind of constantly ending my life. And I walked in late one night and I got in the balcony I didn't go to hear a sermon. I'd heard all the sermons. I didn't want to hear any sermons. I wanted suicide solutions. That night, the man never mentioned his story, never said a word about it. He went through a graphic betrayal of the execution of Jesus Christ. I know of no other better way to say it than to say that night, sitting on the second row in the balcony, I got arrested for the murder of Jesus Christ. He quoted a verse that night. He said, he that has the son has life. John 3, 36. He that has not the son has not life, but God's wrath abides on him. You see, if you'd have caught me before I walked in, I would have told you, hey, man, listen, I've, I've been there. I've done that. I've prayed the prayer. I've been baptized. But that night, sitting in the balcony, he made a statement. He said, some of you, you've been in church your whole life. You've got an semblance of being religious. You can quote Bible verses. But you have no relationship with Christ. He actually said, some of you may wake up one day singing amazing grace in hell. I'll never forget that. And it wasn't some kind of a trick some kind of a pressure deal, but he said, for some of you, there may never be another opportunity for you to say yes to Christ. And at that moment, I realized that even though I was very religious, I was very lost. That even though I knew about Christ, that even though I'd walked an aisle, that I had never truly repented of my sins and put my faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, I was, I was depending on some experience 
and not a relationship. When he said, he that has the son has life, and he who doesn't have the son doesn't have life, I said, man, I understand that because even though I exist, I don't live. 21 years of age, April 5th, I realized I was lost. That night, he invited people to make a public stand for Christ. I was sitting in the balcony, and I thought, I wonder, is there anybody else among these 2,000 or so people that feel and hear what I'm hearing? It was as though he were talking to just me. I made a decision at that moment. It didn't matter what it cost me. It didn't matter what anybody said. I was not going to spend one more day unsure of my relationship to Christ, not one more minute. He invited people to make a public stand for Christ. I'd done a lot of things publicly, things I, was ashamed, I wasn't ashamed of that I should have been. When I stood up, I noticed a guy on the lower floor. It's a guy I used to play basketball with. A guy I couldn't stand. A guy who really was no worse than I was, just a guy that I thought who was worse than I was. I was stunned when I saw him go forward to give his life to Christ. That April 5th night, I prayed a prayer probably very similar to the same one that I'd prayed as a young boy. Just then I knew what I was doing. And Jesus Christ became my God and my Savior. I've never gotten over it. My life changed. How about you? No, aside from the certificates, aside from decisions, aside from good works and church membership, have you truly been forgiven of your sins? Do you know Christ the way I know Vince Carter? Or has Jesus Christ truly became your Lord and Savior and changed you from the inside out? Because one day, maybe today, maybe a year, maybe a decade, We will stand before Christ and give an account of our life. And I can't help but wonder, will there be people who heard this sermon and will remember an opportunity that was lost? Let's pray. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. There's nothing mystical or magical about that. I ask you to do that simply because I don't want you distracted by anything anybody else is doing. There's a couple of people, they've got to leave a little early to go to Sunday school. That's fine. I, I want to ask you just for a minute, if you would, to just bow your head and close your eyes. And if you would, just for a minute... Take a self-evaluation of your relationship to Christ. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says that we are to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. We were in a Texas town not long ago, and the guy working the soundboard, the head worship leader, and the pastor's wife all got saved in the same service. You say, Jay, did that really happen? It sure did. What about you? You might say, well, Jay, nobody really knows for sure if they're going to spend eternity in heaven. Well, that's not true because the Bible says that we can know. 
Most of us know the gospel. The gospel is simple. It doesn't have to be made difficult. The gospel is 2,000 years ago, the Son of God was executed because of your sin and mine. The gospel is that if we are willing to, by his power, to turn our back on our sin and put our faith in Jesus Christ in him alone, that he will give us eternal life. It's that simple. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You say, well, Jay, you mean literally if I truly believe with all my heart that Christ died for me, that he rose again? Jay, you're saying that if I put my faith in him and him alone and I'm willing by his power to turn my back on my sin, that this morning, right here in Pelham, Alabama, that Jesus Christ will adopt me into his family, that he'll come into my life and make my relationship with him sure and eternal? Yes. It's not my promise, it's his. So this morning, I want to, knowing that God's word says that if we'll call on his name, we'll be saved. I, I, I want to just do something. I can't help but believe that there are people in this room who are just like I was at 21 years of age. We saw a little old lady, 86 years of age, been in church her whole life, walk an aisle and say, I need to give my life to Christ. So what I want to do right now is, is I want to invite you, wherever you're seated, if you'd say, Jay, I don't know for sure. I really don't know. You might be Catholic, Methodist, Baptist, Nazarene. It doesn't matter. You might not go to church at all. Maybe somebody invited you today. But if you would say, Jay, I don't know for sure that Jesus Christ lives in me, then I want to invite you right where you're seated to pray this prayer with me. Now, before I pray this prayer, I want to make something clear. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you're saved by praying a sinner's prayer. The Bible doesn't say that. You heard my story. I prayed a prayer that I did not mean or understand. It meant nothing. But what the Bible does say that if we pray, if we call on the name of the Lord out of sincere faith and repentance, that he will give us eternal life. So right where you're seated, if you'd say, Jay, I just don't know for sure. Or you might say, Jay, I know for a fact I'm not a believer. Whatever the case may be. But you'd say, Jay, I don't know, but I want to know. I want to invite you to just pray this prayer with me. There's no magic words. It would go something like this. Dear God, I pray to you in Jesus' name. Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I know I have sinned against you. And I want your forgiveness. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe, Jesus, that you rose from the grave on the third day. Jesus, you promised that if I would call on your name, that you would forgive me, that you would save me, that you would give me not only eternal life, but a new life. Right here, right now, Jesus Christ, by faith I receive you. I don't ever want to doubt again my relationship with you because right here, right now, I'm calling on you to be my Lord, my God, and my Savior, Jesus Christ, come in my life. With every head still bowed and every eye still closed. Irregardless if you're a guest or a member, if you're anywhere in this room, maybe you're like me, maybe you've been baptized or christened, maybe you've even walked an aisle before at summer camp, but if you just prayed that prayer with me, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just lift your hand up? I won't embarrass you in any way. Just lift your hand up and say, Jay, I just prayed that prayer. Lift it up high. There's many of you. Don't be ashamed. Would you just lift it up high? It's hard to see up here with these bright lights. 
Just lift it up high. Keep it up for just a minute if you would. Anybody else? Several hands. Are there others? I see you up there in the balcony. Thank you for being honest. Are there others? Jay, I prayed that prayer. I just invited Christ in my life. Anybody else? You might even be a Sunday school teacher or in the choir. That's all right. Hands still going up. Are there others that would say, Jay, I just prayed that prayer with you and invited Christ in my life. Anybody else? Quickly, quickly, quickly. You may put your hands down. Those of you that just raised your hand, would you, everybody else, just keep your head bowed. Those of you that just raised your hand, would you lift your head and look right this way at me? There's probably about 20 of you, I'm guessing. I didn't count. Maybe 15. I don't know. But if you just raised your hand and said, Jay, I pray that prayer, only you, would you lift your head and look right this way at me? I'm not going to embarrass you. There's nothing to be afraid of here. You just pray that prayer with me. Just lift your head and look right this way at me. Appreciate you guys in the balcony. That's where I was at. Those of you that are looking this way while everybody else is just praying, I want to ask you to do something. It's not going to be easy, but it's right. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32, he said, if any man is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him I'll be ashamed when I come in my Father's glory. This morning, I want to give you the privilege to go public. You see, I truly believe with all my heart, if you are unwilling to take a stand for Christ, and a great church like FBC Pelham, I sincerely doubt whether you will ever take a stand for Christ in a lost and unbelieving world. You say, well, Jay, man, I mean, people know me. I've been going to this church for years, or I used to teach Sunday school, or I'm a deacon, or I'm a spiritual leader. There's got to come a point when nothing else matters but what Christ thinks. And so just in a second, I'm going to pray. I want to be clear about this. And just in a second, I'm going to pray. The second I say amen, my brother's going to start singing. When I say amen, everybody in the audience is going to stand. And I'm going to ask those of you, whatever the number is, 10, 15 of you that said, Jay, I prayed that prayer. I'm going to ask you unequivocally, unashamedly to get out from where you're standing. Come right down here to the front and stand facing me. You're not going to be asked to say anything. No one's going to embarrass you. You're going to come forward and stand facing me, and we're going to pray together. I'm going to give you some information that I personally wrote that I want to send with you today. You don't need anybody's permission. You don't need your husband's, your wife's, your mom or dad. I'm going to ask you the second I say amen. It'd be easy to say, well, let me wait and see who else is coming. You may be the only one. Jesus said, if any man's going to come after me, he's got to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The second I say amen, you just make your way. Now, last of all, you may have brought someone with you today. I guess you might turn to them and say, I'll go with you. We'll have a word of prayer together. I'll give you some information. If you came with friends, they won't leave you. Everyone in the audience, quickly, quietly stand. Everyone, quickly, quietly stand. Quickly, quietly, everyone stand. When I say amen, you just come. Father God, thank you this morning that you've spoken to several people. Lord, thank you for those people that have just prayed that prayer to invite you in their life. Lord, give them the power, the courage by your Holy Spirit to make their stand for you. In Jesus' name, 